following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, June 20th, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I would guess that many of us here, if not most of us, have experienced something in one way or another that most of us would cautiously call a miracle. And whether that miracle is mechanical, medical, on ice, or otherwise, what they all have in common is that a dire need was met in such a way that blurs the lines between beating the odds and defying all explanation. If you've ever experienced a miracle like that, then I'm sure you're also familiar with the overwhelming feeling of joy and relief that immediately follows it. But ironically, when we read these same miracle stories about what Jesus has done, there's sort of a so what factor that maybe leaves us a little bit bored with, with what we've just read, a little bit complacent with it. And some of that, I'm sure, comes from familiarity, from the fact that we've read these stories before, and of course Jesus heals the man. Of course Jesus casts out the demon. Of course Jesus fed 5,000 people. But more likely is also the fact that it's a little bit difficult to be amazed or stirred up by something that's so far removed from our own lives and something that we hardly ever expect to see in our own day and age. We've felt joy, we've felt relief, we may have even seen some of these miracles, but, but not like this. Not joy like this, not miracles like this. And so then the question remains, what is the point of these miracle stories? What are they trying to achieve for us if, if they don't affect us the way that maybe they ought to? The gospel that we read for this morning sort of answers that question a little bit precisely because it's just so different from all the other miracles that we read from Jesus, both in the plea for it and the reaction to it. Because, for instance, instead of faith prompting it, it was unfaithfulness by the disciples. And instead of relief immediately after, we only see more fear. And so this miracle, perhaps more than any other, shows us exactly why we need this miracle, these miracle stories. It's because in this intense situation, and in the intense situations in our own lives, which are many, That's the time when we come to see that perfect relationship between God's power and God's character, which is made all the more important when when we understand who Jesus is. This message is far more meaningful than the miracles themselves because that message still stands even when we don't see it in a miracle. And so the word of the day then is irony. And Mark gives us our first dose of it by presenting Jesus to us here as a Messiah on a mission, a man who wants to keep moving no matter what, but who still gets tuckered out at the end of a long day. He says, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's work to be done in Gentile country. And en route, he catches up on the sleep that he needs so much because Jesus is nonetheless a man, a human. It's not that mind-blowing, really. Jesus was a man. He got, he got hungry, he got hurt, and he got tired. But by putting Jesus' human limitations on display for us here, the gospel writer Mark really sets us up to see exactly what Jesus' humanity couldn't limit. Now, 
The rugged, mountainous terrain around the Sea of Galilee would regularly bring wind and water together in this violent struggle that could turn peace into turmoil without so much as a dark cloud or a drop of rain to give you a warning. And it frightened the best of sailors on the Sea of Galilee. So this small handful of fishermen in the boat and the gaggle of landlubbers under their care were not exactly very confident of their ability to beat back the surf. And all the while, Jesus is still asleep in the back. There's water breaking over the side of the boat. They are up to their ankles in it. And Jesus is asleep. From all outward appearances, in the midst of their despair, Jesus doesn't seem to share their concern. And that, amid all of this, is the problem that they latch on to. As if somehow this man sleeping in the boat wasn't also in the same sinking vessel as they were. Of course, no Messiah could possibly be this oblivious. On the other hand, only the Messiah could possibly sleep through a storm like this. Either way, what they saw was that their leader was at peace. And they read that as him being uncaring. And so with little more prompting than that, Jesus got up and in just two words rebuked the storm. He says, quiet, be still. And the grammar of those two little Greek words carries this, this force of the phrase, put the muzzle on and keep it on. And the irony here is that this command to the wind and the waves had an equal effect on the 12 men in the boat with him. The sea was calm, the wind was silent, and nobody had a word to say except for Jesus. I think that when we enter these tumultuous periods in our own life, what human nature wants to see first and foremost is a display of God's power. And when we don't receive that bombastic sign from God that we so desperately need, human nature oddly enough, doesn't question God's power. That's never something that we challenge. Instead, it questions his character. It challenges his goodness because it's somehow easier for us to believe that God is cruel and careless than it is for us to believe that he's powerless. Now, neither of those things are true. But human nature prefers a careless God who is in control because then, then we can point the finger at him then we can imagine being able to maybe guilt him into caring for us. And just maybe when we frame God that way, we can also just imagine that maybe we're better cut out for the position than he is. But even though we often match the disciples in fear and faithlessness here, perhaps the greatest irony of this story is the way that Christians tend to read themselves into it. You know, like I said, we're right there with the disciples. We're yelling at Jesus. We're fearful. We're faithless. And yet, there's a key difference in how this turns out. Those disciples were physically sitting in a physical boat and watched their very physical Messiah stand up and rebuke their very physical predicament head-on right in front of them. And we don't have that privilege. And that's okay. But we won't be satisfied by these miracle stories and and we won't even be amazed by this miracle if we try to make this about Jesus calming all the storms of our life. That's not the point. In fact, making that the point of this story will, will of course lead us back into that same pattern of fear and faithlessness that the disciples showed the moment that Jesus fails to calm one of our storms. And of course, he doesn't fail to calm them because he doesn't fail. But that's how we perceive it. That can't possibly be the point, because if it were, the disciples would be up and dancing in the boat alongside Jesus, but instead all they did was exchange one fear for another. Ironic. 
And so the significance of this miracle then is not in, the, in, not in what it is, but in what it communicates, which is something that we can enjoy just as much as those who witnessed it firsthand. And if, consider this. There are critics who will read the miracles of Jesus and dismiss them completely out of hand as a legend. There are others who will go a, a step back and say, they'll, they'll try to find some naturalistic explanations for what Jesus has done here, which is a little bit more respectable, even if it's still wrong. But, you know, there are, when you think about it, with the right amount of charisma and a, a solid grasp on human psychology, it's not out of the question to imagine that you could convince somebody that you've cast out their demons or that perhaps you've healed their child. It's been done before. But no matter what power you have over people and no matter what tricks you have up your sleeve, there is no way in this world that you could mock a windstorm into submission and no way that you could shame the waves into stillness. The unthinking, unfeeling, and impersonal forces of nature bow down to no man unless that man holds in his hands the authority that belongs only to the one who created them. And the Old Testament people understood this very well. The psalmist writes in Psalm 89, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. Moses didn't split the Red Sea on his own. He just followed directions. Elisha didn't bring rain, or Elijah rather, didn't bring rain on the land of Israel. He prayed for it first. What Jesus just did, only God could do. And you'll note that he didn't ask for permission before he did it either. And that's the point. That's why Mark includes this story. Mark will never come out explicitly and say, Jesus is God. But he'll show it to us in a way that, at the very least, gets us to ask along with the disciples, who is this? And eventually, to bring us to the understanding of exactly who this is. And Jesus does the same. With Jesus, the miracle is never the message. Instead, the miracle always serves the message. And there in that boat, in the midst of that storm, Jesus' message to the wind, to the waves, and to all of us is be still and know that I am God. Our first reading for this morning was a short stretch from the book of Job. And if you're at all familiar with Job's story, then you might be able to see some parallels between this story and his. To be brief, Job had it all, Job lost it all, and from the depths of his distress, he pointed the finger at God, never once challenging God's power, just challenging his character. And when God at last responds, he doesn't offer Job any explanation as to why these things are happening to him, and he doesn't give him any immediate promises of restoration. No, God's four-chapter-long response can be summed up in just the phrase, I am God, and you are not. It's a response that has satisfied some readers throughout the ages and left others wanting, maybe a little frustrated. For what it's worth, Job was completely content with that answer. Through this miracle, Jesus had given his disciples the exact same answer as God gave Job. Through this miracle, he gives us the same answer to our own insurmountable troubles. He is God, and we are not. He has supreme authority, and we do not. But that authority is wielded by a good God. A God 
who is wiser than any of us. And the ultimate reason why that answer can satisfy us is because our God's great concern for humanity was shown most clearly and most powerfully by his inaction. That very night, Jesus' disciples watched him calm a storm. The next day, they would see him go ashore and cast out a thousand demons. Shortly after that, they would see him raise a girl from the dead. The evidence that this Messiah was more than a man was mounting up by the hour, by the second. And then they saw him crucified. In Gethsemane, as Jesus poured out his blood, sweat, and tears in prayer, as he begged for the Father, if there were any other way for this will to be done, then please give it. As he was deep in distress, do you know what his disciples did? They slept. They slept. And then they ran away. Even then, Jesus didn't do anything to calm the rage of the mob, which is infinitely easier to control than the weather. He didn't silence his accusers with the simple truth of who he was. And he didn't fight back as the hate of sinful men bled him dry for me, for you, and for our salvation. It was in the absence of his power and the silence of his strength that his most profound and life-changing love for me shone forth. And that is where the storms of my heart are stilled. Because if his own trial paid my atonement price, then I can trust him to give purpose to every trial that he sends my way, even if that purpose is nothing more than to throw me upon his grace when I have lost everything else. So it's good, now and again, to ask ourselves along with the disciples, who is this? And just maybe it's even a good thing to ask that question, like the disciples, with a little bit of holy fear, because sometimes we forget it. And as we sit beside Jesus in the boat, as we sail into the storm with him, take all of the things that we know about Jesus, his miracles, his teaching, his law and his gospel, his incarnation, his deity, his humanity, his life, death, and resurrection. You take all of these things and then ask, who is this? This is the one who knows the purpose of every trial and trouble just as he knows the pain of all of them. This is the one whose grace to me in the day of trouble is far more impressive, far more lasting, far more enduring than his command of the wind and the waves. This is my God who carried my shame to the cross so that even when the wind and the waves sink my ship, I awake on the shore of heaven. And if this is who Jesus is, if this is who Jesus is, then we can say through the deepest possible loss that God is enough. And we can mean it. And we can sing along with the psalmist when our joys have been stripped away from Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My strength and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If this is who Jesus is, then he is a bottomless well of joy for our souls to drink from without cost and without ending. There's no reason for us to believe that God has ceased to roll out the miracles on earth. In fact, after this week watching my wife 3D print a human being with a body and soul from her abdomen, I think it's safe to say that 
Miracles happen every day, some of them that we just take for granted. And so we can't possibly consider it a foolish thing to pray for a miracle when our circumstances suggest that we may need one. But it's important to remember that God is greater and wiser than our circumstances, and he knows what we need. Again and again, scripture, in Scripture, we see that human perception of God's actions does not and cannot dictate what his character is. Rather, his character guides his actions in ways that we might not be able to perceive or make sense of right away. And it's in understanding this that the storms of our hearts are stilled. Amen. Amen.